Hi, I'm Amy Porter. Some of you know me as a flutist and a classical musician, others as a professor, and some of you know me as a publisher and arranger. I'm a stepmom, I'm a business owner, and I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. And this is my podcast. My core mission as an entrepreneur is to appreciate what I have around me. And then I try and see as clearly as possible how I can help. So let's talk. Let's share information. Let's laugh and sometimes cry over the things that we have to work through in life and in music, in business and family and relationships. Come on into my Porter Flute pod. Welcome back to Porter Flute Pod. I'm so glad you decided to join us today for our friend cast. Today we're produced by Alan J. Tomasetti and Justine Sedke, and we have guest composer Joel Puckett from the Peabody Conservatory. Joel wrote this dramatic work called The Shadow of Sirius for flute, flute choir, and wind ensemble. I'm so honored to have Joel Puckett here. His music is so inspirational, and I was so honored to premiere this work. It has become a mainstay in the repertoire, and I'm astounded that I was the first person out of six more to record it. So I just want to thank the flute community for embracing this piece as much as I did. Come on in to Porter Flute Pod. And meet my friend, composer Joel Puckett. From the Shadow of Sirius by W.S. Merwin, this is The Nomad Flute. You that sang to me once, sing to me now. Let me hear your long-lifted note. Survive with me. The star is fading. I can think farther than that, but I forget. Do you hear me? Do you still hear me? Does your air remember you, O breath of morning, night song, morning song? I have with me all that I do not know. I have lost none of it. But I know better now than to ask you where you learned that music, where any of it came from, once there were lions in China. I will listen until the flute stops and the light is old again. W.S. Merwin wrote The Shadow of Sirius in 2008, and it won the Pulitzer Prize in 2009. The Christian Science Monitor wrote, quote, W.S. Merwin's Pulitzer Prize-winning poetry collection challenges our concept of reality. What makes The Shadow of Sirius memorable is the way it acknowledges great mysteries and unknowns, 
but shows how light reaches us still. The book is published by Copper Canyon Press if you're interested in something really beautiful and enriching to add to your heart and your book collection. Joel Puckett was in a very dark place in his life, having suffered loss and was still trying to work out his emotions. He came across this poetry book in 2009 in a bookstore, and he opened to the first poem, The Nomad Flute. Upon reading the poem and the following 117 pages, he realized that he had found a voice for his emotions. This beautiful body of work and its poetry held inspiration for what became one of the most celebrated concertos for flute and wind ensemble in recent memory. Joel Puckett is an alum of the University of Michigan School of Music, Theater, and Dance, and the director of bands, Michael Haithcock, commissioned him through a consortium effort. He was to write a piece for flute and band and flute choir, and I was to be the recipient. I was so honored and excited and nervous for what was to come. I had no idea that he would so beautifully utilize the community of a flute studio as the family unit in the piece. As a professor, I can attest to feeling a great sense of emotion when I was performing with my own students. The work was premiered in February 2010, and we just celebrated the 10th anniversary of the work this spring, but without its planned celebratory concert due to the pandemic. It was gracious to receive a message from Joel about my podcast, and I thought it was fitting to have him be the first guest of my friend cast. He's a great composer, and if you don't know already, composers are cool. So let's speak to Joel about the process and the flow of the artistry that became this beautiful flute work, The Shadow of Sirius. For me, it was about really trying to have a clear vision about what I was doing and then being open enough to listen to what the notes wanted to do. And it seems ridiculous when you say it out loud like that. But uh, I'm a big fan of Stephen King. And Stephen King uh, wrote a really great memoir called On Writing, where uh, he said that there are two types of writers. One type of writer uh, writes plot, where they like plot out each event and then they just sort of plug characters in and let them follow along the plot and the second type of writer writes characters and the characters if they're real and three-dimensional will create their own story based on natural momentum and interactions and I think that applies to composers too there's certain composers who uh, preordain structure and preordain for lack of a better word plot and then plug notes in and let them go. For me, I tend to think about it as I create material, characters, or think about the protagonist or antagonist of a piece, in this case, the flute and the satellites, right? And then create material and then listen to what the material wants to do and then let it interact naturally and tell me what it wants to do. So I think I fall very much in that idea of creating characters and letting them and being open to whatever they want to do. Um, it, it makes the process somewhat more complicated and less straightforward 
than if I were just sort of plotting structural points. But for me, I think it allows me to have more pieces that that feel like they are moving from left to right in a more interesting way. I was early in my career and I wanted to work with Mike and it would be a dream to work with you. And so when Mike said, we want to commission you, how would you feel about a concerto for Amy? That was a no brainer. I was so excited. I couldn't say yes quickly enough. So it wasn't really necessarily that I was pitching that idea. That idea fell in my lap and then it changed my life. Funny the way that works. Yeah. Yeah, that was not a calculated move in any direct in any way. Concertos in general don't have enormous life cycles. Um, and so I think it's kind of silly to think about longevity with a piece. You just try to do your best and then uh, tailor it for the people you're writing it for and uh, then hope that it has a life in, you know, like you, when you go to bed and you have your wildest dreams, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, but, th- but this is, I mean, this was just uh, all amazing players and uh, uh, some of them have become dear friends that I didn't know before that process. Um, uh, I sent them all your premiere, which was inst- astoundingly beautiful. And then... Um, then when your recording, your commercial recording came out, I'm sure that I didn't send it around, but people found it, obviously. Um, but then I, I, I have no expectation that they're going to try to sound like you or even make the same choices that you made. Because I gave the, the, the freedom in the score specifically to invite choices. And that that was the thing that I was astounded by, like hearing all the great equally moving, very different choices that these these people would make. I had such a wonderful experience writing that with, for you and then getting the opportunity to hear so many amazing flute players play it. I mean, uh, while beyond my imagination about what was even possible, um, it, it informed my understanding about the different concepts of, uh, of flute sound production, like that are all valid and equally beautiful, but just coming at the instrument from slight, I mean, the slightly different perspectives and how beautiful that can be. And just the, the wide range of correct and expressive beauty that is possible. Um, I mean, it, it, it's like my go-to place, having heard 
hundreds and hundreds of amazing performances of that piece, everyone different, I think it would be impossible for a composer to recognize that and then not put it first in the toolbox. Yeah, it's it's seeped into your soul. <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, for me, the thing that is the most beautiful sound in the entire world is like the lowest fifth on a on a uh, a flute, just like that C or B foot up to like the F F sharp G somewhere in that. It's it's just so s- sexy. It, it, there's something so vulnerable about it. Um, especially when it's played with like, uh, just an infusion of color as much as you can get down there. Um, if, if, if you keep everything transparent, listening to that in an, in a wide ensemble setting, if the composer really knows what they're doing and so you can really pay attention to that area of the flute, it is the most magical thing I can possibly imagine. Joel's first opera is called The Fix. Other than having a great name, the opera follows the story of a scandal in baseball, a true story, the most famous story, back in 1990, when the Chicago White Sox agreed to lose the World Series for money. When you listen to the opera, you can prominently hear his flute writing. It stands out as a voice to be noticed. Its sonorous character travels, and the flute writing is superb. I asked him about the opera and the flute part, and how the shadow of Sirius might have informed his aria, Go Round the Room, and why the minor ninth is so prominent in the flute. Right, so the, the, in, that, in that aria, there's sort of a... a G major, uh, sorry, G minor seven nine chord, and then everything sort of like smudges down. But the flute comes in with the B natural against. It's like so, like a a a minor ninth above what's happening in the orchestra, sort of revealing that whatever's being said by the character is not the truth. And so I love this notion of. I think it's a Rick Cohen article where he talks about the sort of omniscient presence of the composer within the music, uh, specifically of Schubert, where the the person singing or the character singing might not know something, but the music knows the underlying truth that might contradict what the character is saying. And so I love that idea. And in that aria, I'm using the flute to sort of uh, let let the audience know that everything that is coming out of this character's mouth is not 
not the truth. And so whether they know consciously or unconsciously, I'm not sure it's important, but there is a, definitely an unsettling quality about it that something's off about what's being said, relayed in this aria. By the flute. But, but yeah, and the flute is the truth teller. As opposed to like what had happened with our piece, like this, the, the fix was something that took a very long time to lock down. Um, so uh, Minnesota Opera came to me and asked me if I would be interested in writing an opera. And if I were, what would I write about? And the first idea I pitched them was this idea, because I thought it would be a good metaphor for America in, at that time, 2015. Because we were just coming out, in my mind, we were just coming out of the, the financial crisis. And whatever you think politically, that what that revealed was a crack in society uh, between the people who have a lot and the people who have nothing, right? And disproportionately, the people who had nothing outnumbered the people who had a lot. I mean, that's, you know, regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum, that's undeniably true. And so uh, the fix is ultimately a worker's story. It's a story of people who are disenfranchised either through education or financial means against the owners who uh, had all the advantages in the world. And so I thought it would be a, a, a good way to tell an allegory. Um, and I get to talk about baseball and speak at times, rather nostalgically about how I feel and think about sound in relation to baseball in this idealized version. And at the same time, tell a story about the way that we rose-colored glasses the previous periods of American history, specifically the early to mid-20th century. And so... I, I found it an amazing challenge and amazingly rewarding uh, to, to tell the story. And I, I, I feel completely changed as a composer and as a person having done it. I'm just so grateful that I got the opportunity to do it. So my concerto duo is uh, a double concerto for orchestra and flute and clarinet that I wrote for Anthony McGill. Um, principal clarinet of the New York Philharmonic and Damari McGill, uh, principal flute of uh, Seattle Symphony. And uh, they've done it quite a bit. They recorded it, uh, and, and a, a, an astounding recording, actually, uh, on the uh, Sedili uh, label. Um, and uh, we, we are in process of making a win uh, transcription of that. Um, we don't know when... It was scheduled for February 21, but that's on hold due to COVID-19. So we're, we're hoping spring 22 will be the, the launch for that. Um, but I, I would, if, if you're an ambitious flute player out there, I would highly recommend you check that out. And um, as with all of my other concertos, you can uh, get the, uh, the solo part uh, free of charge. Um, you can just download it and get to work and then win the concerto competition with your best friend and uh you know off we go um and then i have uh uh a, like i mentioned a concertino 
for uh, chamber winds, percussion. I think it's 14 players and uh, solo flute. That's about 10 minutes long, very understated, called Nels for Bonnie that I wrote for my grandfather when he died. Uh, and uh, the truly amazing uh, Sarah Frizoff uh, gave the premiere of that and has done that piece a bunch. Um, and that that uh, you can get through my, my publisher, Bill Holub. But uh, that's a that's a, a very vulnerable piece, exploring the, the sort of softer side of the flute. And the thing I love about flute and find somewhat frustrating in sort of larger contexts is the flute can be so subtle. And the way that you can control color is I, it's just so beautiful and gets often lost in big concertos. So if you're a person who likes to play with subtlety and color um, and shading uh, in your playing, then maybe the Nels Rabani is for you. And there's also a solo flute version of that. Well, I mean, I think family is the whole thing for me. Um, either musical family or like legit biological family. And baseball uh, is definitely biological. My grandfather uh, played uh, semi-pro baseball and then my father loved baseball. And so we would go to baseball games all the time. Um, so it was deep-seated, my love for baseball, and quite nostalgic, if we're allowed to use that word. Um, uh, some people think it's a dirty word. Um, but the nostalgia I feel for baseball is profound, and so that's why I chose to make it the sort of focus of of my opera. Um, most of my music has something to do with either uh, my family or my musical family, either being inspired by people that I've worked with and people I consider my musical family. Like Sarah, you know, I didn't know Sarah, but you put her on, Sarah Frizoff, you put her on the consortium and said, you, you have to do this when she got her first job. And now I think she's done the piece, the Shadow Series piece 10 times. I mean, she's become a, a, an unbelievable collaborator for me and someone I'm really inspired by as an artist. And I'm so grateful to have someone like her 
basically just fall into my life. Um, so anyway, uh, it's, it's that. It's, it's being inspired by people who make me want to be a better person and make me be, want to be a better musician. enjoyed bringing the shadow of Sirius out into the world to the flute community and to its repertoire and into this podcast. I hope you'll check out Joel Puckett's music. It's published by Bill Holab Music and it's all available at joelpuckett.com. That's spelled J-O-E-L-P-U-C-K-E-T-T.com and click on music. You can get W.S. Merwin's poetry wherever you get your reading materials. I appreciate you joining us for this first friend cast in Porter Flute Pod. You've been hearing my recording of The Shadow of Sirius on a CD called Artifacts. It's with the University of Michigan Symphony Band with Michael Haithcock conducting. And you can get that CD at amyporter.com or porterflute.com. I hope you'll tune in next time where we have a category called Ask Amy. It's a once in a while category, but I will answer your questions that you've submitted to me at amyporter.com or porterflute.com. I appreciate you being here and thanks for listening to the podcast.